playing time became regular, and Aguilar had himself a great year. And there's a fly ball hit back into center field. It's deep, and it's gone. There it is. Number one for Jesus Aguilar. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Go. Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So timing is everything, right? Timing, Timing is everything. We had uh, one of the busier weekends you could possibly have in Wisconsin sports between the Packers draft and Bucks getting the second round underway and the Brewers obviously playing every day. And we only have an hour every night on the Wisco Sports Show to, to cover it all, to dig into it all. So sometimes we got to pick and choose, right? Yesterday, we focused on the Packers. We focused on the Bucks. We did so last Friday as well. And we didn't really get a whole lot of time to touch on the Brewers. Well, it worked out. The timing lined up because... We got some time to talk about the Brewers today, and all of a sudden, they're playing a lot better than they were than they were last week. So we got to skip over some of the rough patches. We got to skip over some of the ugly losses, and we can talk about the Brewers winning two out of three in New York this weekend. We can talk about the Brewers winning five to one over the Rockies last night. They're starting off a, uh, a huge 10-game uh, homestand. And last night, the big story was not just the win, but Jesus Aguilar getting off the schneid couple of home runs, couple of RBIs. So now we have some positive topics for the Brewers, and now the timing is lining up. So let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, shall we? This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Again Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. I hope you're having an awesome night. I I feel anxious. I'm not going to lie. Because the Bucs are in danger of going down 0-2 tonight should they lose Game 2 at the Fiserv Forum. Now, of course, they they could tie it up. They could go 1-1 and and feel great about going into Boston and only needing to steal one game to be right on track to win this series. But there's also the anxiety, the fact that they could lose. So to to deflect that, to to lie to myself and push that aside, let's talk some Milwaukee Brewers for the first half of the show. We'll get to Bucks later. Uh, That game can be heard here on WKTY later tonight. So we'll go right up to 6 o'clock talking Bucks. But right now, let's start with the Brewers. Try to shake off some of that anxiety. Try to shake off some of that worry, some of that concern. Uh, Dave Carney was in the building. Isn't that amazing? Mornings with Dave and Scrady, 6-9. to nine, uh, He was in the building about a half hour ago, and I was talking to him about the Bucks game, and he said, how are you holding up? You doing okay? I think he can I think he can feel my anxiety. So to deal with that, we're just going to deflect and, and, and talk about the Brewers. Brewers showed some life this weekend. So since the last time we've talked about the Brewers, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, the Brewers have, have actually been showing some signs of life. They had a very poor week last week. Uh, getting swept by the Cardinals, just not playing well. They get the they get the off day, they get the bye day, and then they come back. They have a pretty good weekend, and they looks like they're on their way to to starting a successful homestand as well, beating the Rockies five to one last night. And they started to improve in some of those concerning areas that we've been talking about. Right now, obviously, it's a, a small sample size. It's a stretch of games, a four or five stretch of games. But it's better than nothing. The Brewers starting to show improvement in some of those areas that we've been complaining about uh, for the better part of, of their young season so far, right? Scoring runs in ways outside of just the home run ball, right? Getting starting pitchers to go a little bit longer into the games, a little bit more consistent from the starting pitchers, right? Those were two things we kept talking about. Well, it's obviously never going to be perfect. The Brewers weren't able to get the sweep in New York. They, they had a pretty poor showing on Sunday, as did the Bucks. So the Bucks took some of the heat off the Brewers, right? 
starting pitching. Geo pitched well, but the Brewers couldn't scratch out any runs, and then, and then the bullpen faltered at the end. The Brewers were only able to get two runs on Sunday uh, off of Mike Moustakis homer, and that was it. And sometimes you're going to have games like that. But in recent history, in this recent stretch, the better games have been, uh, well, there's been more than the poor games. Sunday was the lone example. So let's focus on the good games. If we look all the way back to uh, to what would have been Friday night, Brewers winning 10-2 in New York. Uh, now, Matt Albers got the win. The Brewers' starting pitcher didn't go far enough into the game, uh, but it didn't matter. The Brewers hung 10 runs on the Mets, and it didn't take uh, a single home run to do so, which is which is almost hard to believe that the Brewers scored 10 runs. You'd think that at least one of them came on a, on a lucky home run swing, but that wasn't the case. You had Mike Moustakis, extra base hits, and, and Thames had a double in the first. Arcia was putting the ball into play. Kane, Yelich both had hits. Moustakis had a double in the eighth to, to give them their 10th and final run, scoring Lorenzo Kane. No home runs were necessary on Friday night. Now, home runs in and of themselves are not bad, but the trend that we've talked about and that has been concerning to us is that they are only able to score runs when the ball is leaving the ballpark. Friday night, that wasn't the case. You go on to Saturday as well, that continued. That trend continued. They won 8-6 to six over the Mets. Brandon Woodruff was the starting pitcher. Moustakis had a home run uh, off, a, off a ground out in the first inning. I'm just recapping some of the ways the Brewers scored this weekend. Thames had a single in the third. right? And then you get into the fourth, and, and then the power started to show up. Gamble had a homer. Yelich had a homer. Back into the sixth inning, though, Mike Moustakis had a single. And, the, and then Yelich uh, had an RBI and an infield single later. And, and Grand, or not Grandal. Yes, Yasmani Grandal grounded out to the pitcher to score a run. There are lots of different ways. A very diverse uh, scoring log from Saturday as I'm recapping and I'm and I'm revisiting some of these games because it's been a, while, a little while. The Brewers scored in lots of different ways. Now, Saturday, I think, is just about the ideal uh, game recap, if you could have it anyway. Lots of balls being put into play, extra base hits, singles, fielder's choice, a strategic small ball, and then every once in a while you get a home run sprinkled in there as well from Christian Yelich and, of course, from Matt Gamble, like I said, or, or Ben Gamble, excuse me, not Matt Gamble. Scoring runs all sorts of ways. And then last night uh, was another example of that. However, more home runs uh, than not. The Brewers last night won 5-1. to one, And I don't care that they scored the majority of their runs on home runs because two of them came from Jesus Aguilar. He's a guy who obviously was a, a huge piece of the Brewers, possibly the heart and soul of that team for the first half before Christian Yelich just ascended to another level. Aguilar had a three-run home run in the first inning last night and a one-run home run, a solo shot, in the third uh, that's really all they would have needed. Arcia added a, an RBI on a single, moved some base runners as well. Last night, the home run and most of the production coming off the bat of Jesus Aguilar, but we'll we'll be okay with that because it's about time Jesus Aguilar got rolling, right? I don't care. If they score all their runs on Jesus Aguilar bombs, I can get used to that because he's a bat they desperately need to get going. We're talking Brewers and how at least in recent history, and by recent history, I guess I mean four to five games, They've been able to to show life in some areas that have been very frustrating up until this point in their young season. Scoring runs in different ways. Getting starting pitchers who who do a little bit better, and I still want to talk about starting pitching and some of the concerns I have uh, coming up in a few minutes. I'd also love to hear from you. You want to talk some Brewers baseball? Take your mind uh, off of the looming Bucks game that's on the way in a little bit less than two hours. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can find me there. You can always reach out on Twitter, even when the show isn't on the air. You're sitting around on a, on a Monday morning and you say, oh man, what about what about this with the Brewers? What about this? Well, shoot me a tweet any time of day, at Keystroker Grant. Uh, I'd love to talk some sports. Or, of course, you can always find us at WKTY on Twitter as well. So if you want to get in touch, get involved with the program, that's the way to do it. 
two things jumped out to me this weekend, and, and we're kind of taking a holistic look at the Mets series and what we've seen so far in the Rockies series. Because outside of Sunday, they've been pretty good, and, they, and they've showed signs of life in, in some of those concerning areas, like I said. I want to talk about one thing that seems obvious after this weekend. One thing that definitely should have stuck out. And then one thing that maybe got lost over the weekend. I kind of want to take a look. And and I love doing a show on Monday or Tuesday and talking about the Brewers. Because we can look back at the weekend and kind of take a holistic look at a weekend series. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Typically three games uh, between Friday's show and when we talk again on on Monday evening. So you can kind of take a big picture look. And that's what I want to do. The Brewers took two of three from the Mets. And now they've beaten the Rockies in the first game of this long homestand. Something that has stuck out and that should make the Brewers feel Brewers fans feel confident moving forward, feel happy moving forward, and maybe something that, that got lost. I want to point out both of these things and talk Brewers baseball when the Wisco Sports Show returns. Presented, of course, by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. <laughs> Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. The show brought to you by Play It Again Sports. And we're talking Brewers because, well, we have some positive things to talk about. We got some good things to talk about, which is a, a breath of fresh air after last week when they were getting clubbed by the Cardinals. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can get in touch with me there if you want to talk Milwaukee Brewers baseball. They beat the Rockies last night 5-1, to one, but that's not the only game I want to pay attention to. That's not the only game I want to talk about because the weekend as a whole in the series against the Mets I, I thought was indicative and hopefully a, a place to see and to, to show some signs of life in some areas that we had been complaining about, areas that we had been emphasizing, right? Starting pitching, offense minus the home runs, things that I, I feel like they're dead horses that we've been beating for weeks now and this weekend Showed a little bit of life in some of those areas. Now, the Brewers taking two of three from the Mets. They won the first game of the homestand against Colorado last night. And so far in this stretch of, of play from the Brewers, good play is, is now they climbed to, uh, to two games over 500. They currently sit at 16 and 14. And, and, and trailing behind in the division, of course, with the Cubs and with the Cardinals. A couple of things from this weekend that I wanted to take away. A holistic look Friday through Monday. One thing that, that definitely should have stuck out uh, and that the Brewers are going to need going forward, and I also want to talk about something that, that maybe was glazed over this weekend. So let, let's start with what stuck out, at least to me this weekend. Uh, Mike Moustakis throughout the weekend was tremendous. Uh, and he was hitting, typically, he was hitting cleanup earlier on in the series. He found himself in the three-hole as well, right in the middle of that order right in the meat of the batting order, where you typically find the big boppers, right? Where we typically see the likes of Ryan Braun. Or, uh, or or years ago, that's where we found Prince Fielder and Casey McGee, right? That's where the big boppers are. The sticks who are great hitters, but are also big home run threats, is right? Big power threats to, to put the ball deep into the gaps or to put it in the seats uh, for home runs. Like I said, that's the position that Mike Moustakis was hitting in, and he had a tremendous series uh, in New York. He hit the, He hit the hell out of the ball. To put it plainly, he had uh, an RBI uh, in the in their first win against the Mets. Actually, he had multiple RBIs. He was all over the place, doubles, singles. Uh, in the second win against New York, he was grounding out in the first inning to score runs, like we talked about, just putting the ball in play, making it happen. He later added a single in the sixth inning that scored another run to make it 6-1 to one at the time and, and to cushion that Brewers lead a little bit more. He was putting the ball in play. 
Now, he did also have a two-run home run on Sunday. That wasn't enough. That was ultimately all the offense the Brewers could muster. But a great example throughout the weekend was Mike Moustakis. Now, you might be saying, Grant, wow, really observant. Mike Moustakis had a great weekend. Of course that jumped out to us. Why are you wasting our time telling us something we already know? And hey, I, I got it. I'm just not here to, to read off a box score and to tell you what happened this weekend. What I will say, and this continued last night, is the Brewers are going to need more production uh, from what I'm going to call the meat of their order. They need meat. We're looking for meat. We know that Lorenzo Cain can put the ball in play and hit for some pop at the top of the order as well. He can steal bases. He can do a lot of different things. We know what Christian Yelich has done in the two-hole. All right? That, that, that's a given. We know what he provides. Power uh, and, and a very good contact hitter who also has a very high on-base percentage and an OPS that, that's going to be uh, near the top of the league as it was last year. What I'm talking about is the meat and potatoes of the order, whether that's Yasmani Grandal, whether that's Mike Moustakis, or last night, if it's Jesus Aguilar. Last night's batting order was very, very interesting, and Craig Council talked about it in, earlier on in the day, kind of kind of drawing a line in the sand, saying we need to start seeing some production from Jesus. We need to start to see it. He needs to start to do something because ultimately, Craig Council can't just sit on his hands and wait for a player who, yeah, had a great year last year, but do we, do we really know what he is as a player? Does one year make a career? Probably not. So Craig Council's feeling a little bit of pressure as well. They put him in the lineup last night to face the lefty, and he delivered. And last night, he hit in the four hole. He had cleanup. Mike Moustakis behind him at five. The meat of the order, and Jesus Aguilar provided two home runs and a hit. This weekend, the Brewers got production outside of... Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, and they actually got it in the four and the five spots, the three, four, the five spots when Moose was in the third hole or the three hole. You know what you get in the one, two spot with Cain and Yelich, although Yelich is injured right now. And hell, Orlando Arcia has not been bad at the bottom order, at the bottom of the order either. He he is a, a I don't even know how to describe Orlando Arcia. He is a, a strategic, he's a poor hitter, but he's good at what he does. And every once in a while, he'll just get a hold of one. Every once in a while, he, he'll he'll swing hard and he'll put one over the fence or he'll slap one in the gap. He, he's not your typical eight-hole hitter. Now, he has at-bats that are very ugly, don't get me wrong. But a lot of times, late last season, and even at times early this season, he's made up for it with, with at-bats of brilliance and hitting for power as well. He had a good weekend, too. You know what you get at the top of the order, and for the most part, you know what you've been getting near the bottom. The problem has been the middle. How can we find production from Travis Shaw? Mike Moustakis, Jesus Aguilar. Well, Moose did his part this weekend, or appeared to do his part this weekend. Jesus Aguilar did his part last night, and you hope that's a sign of things to come. But between Yasmani Grandal and Travis Shaw, those four guys are going to need to to not work together, but get hotter and, and hit more consistently and provide power to the meat of that order. Because ultimately, the Brewers at times this year has felt like, well, okay, well, once we get past Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich, we're just waiting for the order to return again. This weekend, that wasn't the case. Because Mike Moustakis was hitting for power and Jesus was hitting for power last night, they were getting something from the meat of their order. That should stick out. Not that Moose had a great weekend and, and Jesus got off the schneid and had a great light last night, but when the Brewers win and they're scoring a lot of runs, 10 runs, 6 runs, 8 runs, last night 5 runs, a lot of times you need to look no further than the meat of the order, the middle of the order, and when the Brewers are getting production there, the result is often pretty good. Now, when they're getting production from the middle of the order and Yelich is hitting homers, it's over. It's They're a really tough team to beat because Lorenzo Cain's always on base and Yelich always finds a way on base. And, and RC has hit pretty well at the bottom of the order, too. 
the meat of the order is the last piece of the puzzle to figure out. And Craig Council is going to have to take that group, like I said, of Moose and Jesus and Travis Shaw and Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal and have to figure out how to arrange those four or five guys into places and positions in the lineup and, and with matchups he finds favorable to try to create as much offense as possible. Meat of the order should have stuck out this weekend because in that portion, that three through six or even that three, four, five, when they're hitting well, the Brewers win games and they score a lot of runs. That's what stood out to me, and I bet it stood out to you as well. Something that may have gotten lost this weekend because the Brewers were winning and they took the series on the road and they're off to a great start at home now. And, of course, they're playing Colorado tonight again. The game's going to be over on WIZM, our sister station, 92.3 FM, 1410 AM. Something that may have gotten lost, and it's easy to gloss over details like this when the Brewers are winning, the starting pitching was good, but it left something to be desired. The Brewers are in in a point of transition with their bullpen right now where they're trying to figure out what they have, what works, what doesn't. You have Josh Hader trying to work Jeremy Jeffers back into the fold slowly but surely. Who else? What else? At what time and in what position in the game? When can we use Matt Albers? When can we use Alex Claudio? Can we use uh, Wilson? They're trying to figure out those puzzle pieces. The bullpen is not what it was a year ago and, and... By that token, the Brewers are going to need to expect more from their starting pitching. Last year, when Brandon Woodruff was going four innings, five innings, I was fine with it. When Yoli Shasin was giving you five strong innings, I'm fine with it. I'm not fine with it this year. The Brewers need to change their standards. They need to raise their standards a little bit when it comes to starting pitching. Let's go back to Friday night when the Brewers won 10-2 to over the Mets. Now, they scored a lot of runs, so the, the eyeballs weren't necessarily on the starting pitching. And the bullpen did a great job on Friday night as well. Look, when you score, surrender two runs on the road, you're you're pitching pretty well but the pitching on Friday night the starting pitching should I say Matt Albers got the win and in a 10-2 ball game it's pretty hard to believe that the starting pitcher doesn't get dumped with the decision well it's because the starting pitcher Chase Anderson only went four and two thirds now he came within an out of going five and he threw 96 pitches so I understand why you would pull him out that that four and two thirds needs to be five and two thirds needs to be six or six and a third a little bit more A couple extra outs every game makes a huge difference. You go to Saturday. Now, Brandon Woodruff did get the win. He did go five innings. He went enough to get it done, to to own that win and to earn that win. And he only gave up one earned run. But five innings, let's bump that up to five and two-thirds, to six innings, to six and a third, six and two-thirds. You need to expect just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, not a lot. Last night, Zach Davies, we're all talking about how it was a great start. And it was a great start. He didn't surrender any earned runs. But he only went five and a third. You need to get just a little bit farther. Just a little bit. I'm not talking about expecting pitchers to go seven, eight innings every start. But the mean cannot be four and two thirds. The mean cannot be five and a third. You want your average start to be at about six innings or slightly above. We understand there's going to be outliers. Every once in a while, Freddie Peralta is going to catch fire and go eight innings. Every once in a while, Chase Anderson's going to get dinged pitching out of the bullpen as a starter, and he's only going to go four and a third. And I understand that. Those outliers happen. It's a 162-game season. Not every start is going to go according to plan, and not every start is going to fit the average. You need to get those starting pitchers just a little bit farther into the ballgame. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know what strategy is going to be employed by or employed by Craig Council and by their, their pitching coaching staff. But we can't be jumping up and down doing cartwheels and, and, and throwing around a hula hoop in celebration because Zach Davies 
goes five and a third. Now, I understand he pitched well. Only three hits, no earned runs. Got a couple of strikeouts yesterday as well. But five and a third, you're going to tax your bullpen. Dipping into that bullpen just a couple outs too early. It's a little bit too early. Zach Davies, 96 pitches. You need to you need to get 96 to 100 pitches into the sixth inning. Maybe not even maybe not even six full. He went five and a third last night. That's so that's so close to where you want. You're right there on the doorstep. A couple extra outs every game over the course of a very long, uh, months long season is going to make a big difference. For example. Last night, Zach Davies, we're celebrating because he doesn't allow a run, and I understand that, but he only goes five and a third. I want the best case scenario for my starting pitcher to be like seven innings, eight innings, not five and a third. I don't want to be celebrating because Zach Davies barely makes it into the sixth inning. Need a little bit more consistency, a little bit higher ceiling. Let's look at it that way. You want your ceiling to be raised just a little bit, and you want your floor to be raised just a little bit as well. What do you consider a good start? What do you consider a bad start? Because the Brewers cannot be aiming for. Their target start for their pitch, their starting pitchers cannot be five and a third, or five innings, or four and two-thirds. It needs to be just a tiny little bit more. Bump that average up just a little bit farther, and you're going to be, uh, you're going to be in a good spot. It looks like Freddie Peralta is going to return. Craig Council spoke earlier today. Uh, and return for Thursday's game. So they got another arm on the way, which should obviously help. And hopefully Corbin Burns is squared away and back before too long. Right now, Chase Anderson's been pretty good. Gio Gonzalez has been good so far. You just need to get a little bit farther into ball games, and you, you hope when Freddie Peralta comes back, he can give you some extra innings. And we see more of that Freddie Peralta we saw in Cincinnati going into the 7th and the 8th inning rather than the Freddie Peralta we saw for most of his other starts. Let's keep that in mind. It's not a huge change. We don't need a huge change. But even though the Brewers took two out of three, I'm not content with four and two-thirds from a starting pitcher. I'm not content with five and a third from a starting pitcher. Just need to bump it up a little farther. It'll make a big difference. I said yesterday the Bucks don't have to make a huge change. They don't have to make a huge adjustment, much like I don't think the Brewers starting pitchers do. They just need to change the little things. Let's talk about the upcoming looming large anxiety-inducing Game 2 of the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Bucks Celtics on the way in less than two hours. Let's talk about it coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports here on WKTY 96.7 FM. 580 AM, always streaming live at WKTYsports.com. I'm your host, Graham Bills. Thanks for tuning out, tuning in, hanging out. Don't tune out. Nobody needs that. Nobody wants that. I don't necessarily want about want to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I think we I think we have to. I, I, guys, I'm nervous as hell. I'm anxious as hell. If the Bucks lose tonight, I, I'm gonna sound like an idiot. I'm gonna feel like an idiot for believing so strongly in this team and, and constantly backing this team and, and really to be honest, feeling pretty confident about this team going into the series with the Celtics. And you know the national media is going to nail the Bucks down if they if they lose tonight. You, ab- you absolutely know that. So I think I have right to be concerned. I have right to be anxious. But maybe it'll help to talk about it. Let's get some of the concerns out in the air. 608-796-2558 is the 5-Star Telecom talking text line. Join me to talk some Bucks. Game 2 on the way at 7 o'clock tonight. 6.30 pregame. Here on WKTY and the entire game with Ted Davis, Justin Garcia, and the rest of the Bucks radio network for game number two. Uh, I thought we'd start with this. Why don't you give me a call, give me a text, and say, is tonight a must-win? Do, do you think tonight's game is a must-win? 
That's a dumb question. Of course it's a must win. It's the playoffs. Every game is a must win. If somebody comes up to you and asks you today, you think tonight's a must win? Slap them right across the face. Because obviously it is. The Bucks are down 0-1. And I believe no matter what the count in the series is, every game in the playoffs is a must win. It's a dumb question. We're not talking about that. Of course it's a must win game. And of course they need to win to go back to Boston tied 1-1. We talked yesterday that even though tonight's game is a must win of the highest proportion in the highest order, and that the Bucks have already conceded a home court advantage for whatever you believe that's worth for at least the next game or two until the Bucks have an opportunity to steal a game in Boston. I don't think they're going to make huge adjustments. I don't think, well, from what we've heard from the Bucks, we'll hear from Coach Bud here in a moment, I don't think they're going to make any adjustments. They need to do the little things better. They need to execute the little uh, little nuances and the minutia of their game and what makes them so effective and dangerous on both sides of the floor. They just need to do a little bit better job. This is what Coach Budenholzer had to say just a couple hours ago. Uh, about what needed to change tonight, about maybe what different perspective they were bringing. What, what's your thoughts before game two? Um, you know, I think just some of our basic stuff, defensively, offensively. I think just our, you know, our activity. Um, you know, I think the competitiveness that we need um, just isn't wasn't where it needs to be. So we just got to play better. Um, and you know, give credit to Boston. Um, obviously, they impacted how we played. Um, they played well. We got to impact them more. Um, so. Um, you know, they played well, we didn't. Um, you know, we need the opposite in game two. Thanks, Coach. Uh, very enlightening. There was one line that really jumped out to me. Let's see if I can time this up here. Um, and, you know, give credit to... Bud. Right here, my bad. And we just got to play better. Oh, okay. Wait, so Coach Boone, uh, Coach Bud, if you, if you don't mind. Uh, so the Celtics are coming back for game two tonight. Man, if you guys lose, you're really on the ropes. 0-2, uh, going back to Boston. Uh, what's your thoughts on tonight? And we just got to play better. Oh, okay, okay. I'm not worried at all. <laughs> it's typical coach speak. Typical coach speak. And I, I do think Coach Boonholzer, not necessarily showing his cards there, but but maybe echoing the sentiment that I brought yesterday on the Wisco Sports Show. And that's, look, they don't need to shake up the starting lineup. They don't need to really shake up the rotation at all. Although I wouldn't mind a little bit more Bledsoe, a little bit more Brooke Lopez, and a little bit less Pat Connaughton and Ursan Ilyasova. Now, it's one thing if Ilyasova comes in and starts canning three-pointers. And Pat Connaughton starts making plays at both ends. Then you go with those guys because you don't put a hot hand on the bench. You you ride those players out. That wasn't the case on Sunday. So I don't want to force Ursan Ilyasov. I don't want to force Pat Connaughton, especially when the the other option is Brooke Lopez, who has been great all year long. And the other option is Eric Bledsoe, who's probably had the best year of his career. I don't think they need to change up really anything. They just need to do the little things better. We talked yesterday about how, how Chris Middleton spoke in his postgame presser. Giannis has been seeing double teams all year. He's been seeing triple teams all year. This is nothing new. Brad Stevens is not doing anything earth-shattering. Now, they executed it very well. Celtics executed and were in great position, but this is nothing new for Giannis. He's been seeing multiple defenders all year long because uh, there's very few defenders in the league who can actually stop him. He's not seeing anything new, but Chris Middleton basically talking about how we need to do little things here and there to make his life a little bit easier, make our lives a little bit easier at his supporting cast, and the game's just going to go that much more smoothly. We talked yesterday about how I think the shooters, specifically Sterling Brown and Eric Bledsoe, and and Chris Middleton as well to some extent, they need to get corners quicker. What was one of the first things that Coach Budenholzer did when he showed up in Milwaukee? Think back to his first practices that he ran with the team. There were boxes taped in the corners. Get to this spot. Get there as fast as possible. Don't waste time. Don't take an indirect, lazy looping route. Get there and post up for a shot. 
I think that kind of mentality needs to be brought to game two. The Celtics defend so well, and they mind their assignments and their positioning so well that split seconds matter. Tenths of a second. Halves of seconds matter. Because the difference between a, a great three-point shot with airspace and, and well-timed and, uh, and a contested three-point shot with a hand in his face really isn't that much in the NBA. right? It's the split seconds that makes the difference between a contested shot and a comfortable open jumper. And the Bucks need to walk that thin line a little bit better tonight. That means when Giannis drives, Sterling Brown can't stand and watch. He can't jog. He needs to beeline to the corner and post up for a three. Get ready for the pass. But when Giannis gets out in transition and has got a path to the bucket and is facing three defenders, Sterling Brown can't jog and, and, and watch Giannis. Chris Middleton can't, can't trail lazily. He needs to sprint out to the perimeter to not only space the floor as well as possible, but to give him as much space as possible uh, for a pass and for a three-point shot from the short corner. We talked yesterday about how positioning on the floor matters. Brooke Lopez has to be at the top of the key to draw his large, long defender out to give Giannis more space to operate. Yesterday, I pointed out the key stat that I dug up. Brooke Lopez took 512 threes in the regular season. 75 of them, only 75 of 512 were from the corners. Because Brooke Lopez is so long, because he is so tall and big, He's going to command a defender of equal size, an Aaron Baines, an Al Horford, right? A longer, slower defender, and you want that defender out of the paint. You don't want uh, the Aaron Baines of the world in the paint. You don't want the Rudy Gobert's of the world, the Clint Capella's of the league in the paint because they make life more difficult for Giannis. So instead of Brooke Lopez posting up in the corner for threes, which allows his defender to sag just a little bit closer to the rim, you want him at the top of the key. To get that long defender, whether it's a four or a center, as far away from the bucket as possible. So they can't help on Giannis. And Giannis has that much more room to work. It's the, it's the positioning. It's the timing. It's the little things. So I don't think the Bucks are going to look that much different tonight. I think there's just going to be little, tiny, minute differences in details that because we've talked about, because we've discussed them here on the show, they're all going to jump out to us. Because we're educated. Right? We're ready. Because we notice things like that. Because WKTY listeners are brilliant. They know, what they're, they know what they're watching. They know what they're talking about. But to a casual fan, it's just going to look like, well, Bucks hit their shots tonight. Well, you know, Brooke Lopez, they just had more time to shoot tonight, right? But we know that it's, it's not because they are, they are running different plays. They're running different combinations and rotations. They're just executing the little things a little bit better. And I think to a trained eye, uh, that's going to jump out to us tonight if indeed the Bucks do play that much better, which I, I think they're going to. Yesterday, I, I don't know if I was trying to talk myself into why the Bucks can still win this series. Because losing Game 1 obviously swings the advantage largely in Boston's favor because two of the next three games are going to be in Boston. So now if everybody wins at home the rest of the way out, Boston's taking care of things and then they'll win in, in, uh, in uh, or excuse me, yeah, they'll win in, in Game 6. Bucks need to steal a steal game back on the road. I, I, I don't think there's huge reason for concern unless the Bucks lose tonight. The Bucks lose tonight. It's going to be panic time on the show tomorrow, and I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, listening to Giannis talk postgame on Sunday, another thing that jumped out to me was, I need to be uh, nastier. I need to put more effort down. I need to play harder. And, and part of me heard that and said, well, what do, you, what do you mean you need to play hard? It's the playoffs. Why would you not be playing as hard as you can the, the whole game? Why would you not be bringing a tough mentality to the game? Why would you not bring a nasty mentality to the game? And, and it kind of started to make sense to me. I've been... I've been Using this as a thought exercise is, okay, well, maybe why do the Bucks feel as though they have another gear to go to that wasn't reached on Sunday? The more I thought about it, 
The more I think about it, the more it starts to make sense to me. The problem is we haven't had the conversation about energy and about effort since the Joe Prunty, Jason Kidd days, right? That hasn't been a problem under Coach Budenholzer. They respond to him. They react to him. And I think he really knows how to light a fire under this team. So they come out of halftime ready and red hot to play. They come out of timeouts. They come out of uh, quarter breaks red hot and ready to play. That wasn't necessarily the case on Sunday. Why did they not appear to have the same energy? Why did they not appear to be playing with the same amount of effort? Well, I think I've, I think I've started to figure it out. I think I've gotten an idea, and it and it revolves around one play, one exchange on Sunday that I'm going to try to use to make my case. I'm going to try to pitch you on why the Bucks maybe were a little bit low on on energy and effort on Sunday, and maybe why it makes sense, and why Boston was in a unique time and place on Sunday. To take advantage. We'll talk a, a couple more minutes about the upcoming game too and, and what the Bucks need to do better and how they need to change their mindset before we say goodbye for the night. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Presented as always by Played Against Sports, my name is Grant Bills, I am your host, and I hope that I'm not the only one who's feeling anxious, feeling nervous about tonight's Bucks celtics Game 2, second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. I'm calling on you, you're my, you're my support group, this is a safe space, so we're going to talk about tonight's concerns. You just heard during a Zach Heilprin's Wisconsin Sports Zone update that Giannis did get a call from his older brother, and then Coach Budenholzer talked about this with him as well. Needs to play harder. More energy. More effort. You gotta go harder. And to an outsider, as to someone who's not a professional athlete, you might think, what the hell? It's the playoffs. You are in a position, and your team is in a position that they haven't been in in 20 years. What do you mean you need to play harder? Why is that an issue? Why is that a problem? Well, let's try to put ourselves in the headspace of the Milwaukee Bucks. Of Coach Budenholzer, and of Giannis, Middleton, Lopez, etc., This is a team who had 45 double-digit wins throughout the entire regular season. There's a, a, I believe, a a single-digit, whether it's eight, seven, eight, nine teams in history to do that. A lot of them went on to win the NBA title. Now, I think it takes a special certain makeup, mental makeup of a team to be able to execute a feat like that, to be able to win that many games by double digits. But here's the thing. The regular season is different from the playoffs. And I think there is a, a a tendency from teams in the regular season, 82 games long, and not every team's trying to contend for a championship, contend for playoff seeding. A lot of teams are trying to lose. There is a point, I'm sure, in a lot of these games, late in the third quarter, midway through the fourth, where the opposing team just pulls the shoot. And they said, all right, enough. Let's pull our, let's pull our starters. Let's get our young guys in there. Whether we're trying to tank or whether we're trying to, to, to win tomorrow against a, a, a more equal opponent, we're just, we're just going to give up. And I think the Bucks have gotten used to and accustomed to, through no fault of their own, a certain point, especially in the second half, where the opposition just says, screw it, you got us. You know what I mean? Where they finally say, all right, uncle, we tap out, you got it. And I'm not saying that the Bucks aren't equipped to play in close games and aren't equipped to hold it together in, in crunch time and in meaningful moments. But I do think there is a part of this Bucks team that probably got a little bit of a wake-up call on Sunday. And wake-up calls aren't, aren't always a bad thing. For example, if I were to come in here and, and try to do the Wisco Sports Show, and, and, I, and I didn't really have any notes, I really didn't have a plan, I just sit down, and, and my show is, is me rambling, and, I, and I'm tripping over my words, and, and I'm repeating myself, and, and the show stinks, right? We just didn't have any good conversation, didn't have any good guests. At the end of the day, I go, wow. 
In the future, I'm going to have to plan more. In the future, I'm going to have to approach things a little bit differently. That wake-up call wasn't a bad thing. I mean, as long as it doesn't get us fired. Now, in the NCAA tournament, in the NFL playoffs, those are single elation, uh, single elimination situations. Okay, there we're, there we're talking about a problem. That's an issue, right? In a seven-game series, there's ebbs, there's flows. It's a, it's a game of runs. It's almost a series of runs as well in a seven-game series that could uh, drag out for almost two weeks' time. I think there is a part of the Bucks on Sunday that realized, okay, this team isn't going to fold. This team is not at any point in a game going to say, all right, let's tuck our tail between our legs, let's back out of here, and let's get ready for the next game. And there's a specific example from the third quarter that that was uh, that I noticed and that I saw others tweeting about, writing about as well. There was a moment in the third quarter where the Bucks took a 56-54 lead. It was about 10 minutes to go in the third quarter. Brooke Lopez canned a three. And if you've watched any Bucks games, especially at the Pfizer Forum, there's not really a, a play or or, a, or an action that gets the crowd going like a, quite like a Brooke Lopez three. Now, maybe a Giannis windmill transition dunk or an alley-oop. But routine plays to get the crowd going, Brooke Lopez hitting a three is, is damn near the top. Splash Mountain, right? That's a backbreaker type of play. When the, the opposition's defense stonewalls Giannis in the paint and, and Closes out on Chris Middleton and doesn't allow Bledsoe to get in, in in penetration into the paint. They've done their job. The ball gets kicked out to the top of the key for a seven-foot caveman of a center, and now he splashes the three. That's a backbreaker. That's man, man, we did everything right, and they still got this monster mountain of a man at the top of the key who's just going to say, you know what, you tried, but now I'm going to take over. That's a backbreaker type of play, right? That was the play that put the Bucks up by two in the third quarter with 10 to go. And I think part of the Bucks in that moment said, all right, here we go. This is the point where we turn the corner. This is the point, like we saw against the Pistons and like we saw in the regular season, where the other team goes, damn it, and here we go again. We held with them through the first half. We felt good at halftime. We felt good for the first couple of minutes of the third, but now the superior team's going to take over. And the Bucks probably felt that type of feeling. They said, all right, now we got them on the ropes. Attaboy, Brooke, deliver that blow. Get the crowd back into it. Well, once the Bucks went up 56-54, Celtics go on a 12-0 run uh, and make it 66-56, and we're sitting there going, what the hell happened? Bucks are sitting there going, well, what the hell happened? Why didn't they give up? Why didn't they fold? Why didn't, why didn't they show a crack? Why didn't they show some weakness? Playoff teams, it's a different story. These teams are mentally tough. They aren't, there are not teams who are going to try to tank games. There's not teams who are thinking, all right, let's just get ready. For, for game two, for game three. Because it's the playoffs. They're all must win. Every game means everything. And I think Sunday might have served as a little bit of a wake-up call in that regard. Saying, okay, well, yeah, we can't get by like we did throughout the regular season and through the first round with Detroit. It's going to take four quarters of energy, of effort, of mental focus and precision because these teams, as inferior as they may be, and I do think the Celtics are an inferior team, whether they win the series or not, that's another conversation, these inferior teams aren't just going to fold because they're inferior. And that's due to great coaching, inspirational coaching, leadership from guys like Al Horford and Kyrie Irving. Team's not going to fold. And hopefully the Bucks got that through their head on Sunday. Because like I said, you learn by making mistakes. You learn and get better by going through some sort of a wake-up call. We see that in school. We see that in, in our family life, in our friendships, in our relationships, at work. Oh yeah! Oh, it's Valentine's Day. I don't need to get her anything. I'll just get her. A, I'll just get her a bucket of ice cream uh, and a card, and, and we'll sit on the couch and watch movies. You know, try that again next year. All right. Now, luckily for the Bucks, 
it's a seven game series. They have time to adjust. They have time to to uh, to tweak their their mental makeup and their energy and their effort and their game plan. But they don't really have air to lay another goose egg to to fall flat once again, especially at the Pfizer Forum games they are supposed to win, games that are designed for them to win. So hopefully Sunday served as a wake-up call, and hopefully the Bucks come out and we see them beat some ass like we saw against the Pistons, buzzer to buzzer for a full 48 minutes, because that's ultimately what it's going to take. Not only to win this series, but if, if you want to win games in the Eastern Conference Finals and you want to even sniff the NBA Finals, you're not going to expect the Celtics to lay down in the third quarter because Brooke Lopez, your your funky big center, hit a three. You're not going to expect the Philadelphia 76ers, who have Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, uh, and, and Mike Scott, who's been a problem for the Bucks off the bench as well. They're not going to lay down and fold because they know they're good. They believe they're good, and their coaches instilled that in them. You can't just expect because Brooke Lopez cans a three that this game's going to get out of hand. You can't just expect because Giannis throws down a dunk and gives a yell, and everybody in the Pfizer form stands up for a brief 10 seconds that the other team's going to fold, because that's not how the playoffs work. That's not how the Celtics are going to work, and that's certainly not how the Sixers, the Raptors, the Golden State Warriors, the Rockets, should they make it that far, that's not how those teams work either. So maybe it's a good thing the Bucks had an experience like that on Sunday sooner rather than later, and lucky for Milwaukee, they have a seven-game series to play with. Or maybe I'm just lying to myself because I'm worried, and I think the Bucks. Uh, are are in serious trouble if they lose tonight, which they absolutely are. Is tonight a must-win game? Yes. And if anybody asks you that, slap them right across the face because it's the dumbest question. I saw they were talking about that in the Bill Michaels show earlier today. I'm like, what do you mean is this a must-win? You're already down 0-1. Every game's a must-win in the playoffs. It's the playoffs. Every game means everything. Every shot means everything. Every pass means everything. Of course it's a must-win. Glad we don't waste our time talking about that today. That's for damn sure. Bucks get underway at 7 o'clock. You can hear that game on WK2I. Justin Garcia, Ted Davis, and the whole crew from the Bucks Radio Network will start up at 6.30. Brewers, that's more your cup of tea over on WIZM, our sister station, 92.3 FM, 14.10 AM. Pre-game underway in 7 minutes. 6.05 pre-game, 6.30 first pitch. So enjoy tonight's sports. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about it all, and hopefully we're talking about a 1-1 series tie headed back to Boston for the Milwaukee Bucks. Enjoy tonight's games. We'll talk about them tomorrow.